Welcome to the Race and Redemption Podcast. We're here to help white Christians move from questions to change. This is my friend Susan. She brings her whole heart to this conversation. She has a wealth of experience in cross-cultural relationships in her own family and in her community. And she marries that with the truth of scripture about race and redemption. And this is my friend Brooke. She has been researching these topics for years within the church, and she's bringing new information that's factual, accurate, and nonpartisan. And that's what the church needs right now. Dorina Williamson loves the power of a good story and writes children's books that adults need too. She's the author of Colorful, Thoughtful, and Graceful, and forthcoming books, A Celebration Place and Crown with Glory. She and her husband, Dr. Chris Williamson, planted the multi-ethnic church Strong Tower Bible Church in 1995 in Nashville, and they have four teenage and adult children. Well, we are coming to you live from Nashville. I'm so excited to be on the road. I've been pushing Susan to do an on-the-road episode since the day we started. (laughs) Um, Oh, yeah. And I'm really, really glad to be able to connect in person with some people in other cities. And God is just doing amazing things in his big C church all over the globe. So it is fantastic to be here in Nashville with Doreen Williamson. Yay! I'm so glad to get to be in person. I know. And Zooming with you, Susan, as well. Yes. We are so glad to be with you. Thank you so much for connecting with us today and being on the podcast. And we have so many questions. So, Dorita, you and I met years ago at a, well, I don't even know if we actually met in person. We like crossed paths through a multi-ethnic church conference, Mosaics. Yes. And we've been connecting virtually since then. And so I have been following from afar your amazing work. And I'm excited to share with some of our listeners your ministry, as well as your work with children. And um, we have so much to talk about today. So I thought it'd be great just to give people a little background on you. Will you tell us a bit about your church here in Nashville? Absolutely. Well, I am so grateful for the good work God has been doing through his body for centuries. And to be a part of that good work is still such a joy after 26 years. And I say that with deep gratitude to God, because Mm. this is such a hard season for pastors and for leaders as God's people have not been able to gather as we've customarily been able to. And yet to see the good work continuing is such a blessing. And I can honestly say a joy as a pastor's kid. Mm-hmm. as well as a first lady. So <laughs> church is like my second home. Yes. And, uh, but my husband, and I planted a multi-ethnic church here in the middle Tennessee area 26 years ago. Wow. So strong tower Bible church is 26 years old now, which is kind of yeah. cool. Ooh, I love that <laughs> name. Strong, yes. tower. strong tower. We love to draw people to remember that God is our strong tower and our hope. And then we want our church to be that safe place as well, that people from all walks of life can come together and find refuge and celebrate 
our great God as we celebrate one another. And so we experience God's diverse kingdom. We explain it and we expand it in our city and throughout the world. And, you know, our church is a welcoming place for people from different ethnic backgrounds, people who represent different denominational histories. I'm a Baptist preacher's kid. My husband also was raised Baptist. Then God allowed us to join a Presbyterian work here in Nashville in the Franklin area, which is a suburb of Nashville, and begin to just see the beautiful ways that community work flourishes when we all join hands together. And out of that community work, us as Baptist kids with the Presbyterian church, we planted a non-denominational church. And so it's been a great way to see that we can keep the main thing, the main thing, even mm. though we come from yeah. different places and we treasure different aspects of the body of Christ and we can enjoy table fellowship mm. among those beautiful differences that we don't have to draw away from each other just because you, you know, really appreciate, you know, Methodist traditions or someone else appreciates Presbyterian traditions. So it's not easy. Sure. I always want to make sure I answer <laughs> that because we're not creating this idealistic, oh, it's just. A la la land. It is hard work. We have to sacrifice. Mm. We like to say equal opportunity sacrificing Mm. Um, because sometimes we have to lay down some things that we think are most important so that we can give way for our brother, our sister. Wow. That's a good word. Equal opportunity sacrifice. Equal Mm. opportunity sacrifice. That's Mm -hmm. what we sign up for. That's what we tell Mm. people after 26 years, when you come to a church like ours, that You may be accustomed to an altar call every Sunday and think that church is not church unless the pastor has had an altar call. Mm -hmm. But at our church, we're not going to do that every Sunday. And we've had people that are just very concerned. Mm -hmm. I mean, you go through the litany of church experiences and, you know, it's a wonderful opportunity to realize that you're not the only part of the body of Christ. Right. Body of Christ is Mm -hmm. so big. So so big. So big around the world. So 26 years ago, you all were kind of pioneering. If I may say, yes, you know, just looking at church history, that was quite early to be figuring out what it looks like to be a truly diverse community. It was. And we didn't see a lot of models. Mm -hmm. There were a few for sure that had been doing that, but it wasn't as popular Mm -hmm. as it is now. And we were a young couple. Right. You know, I was in my early twenties. Wow. I was pregnant with our second child when we started the church. Wow. And so we truly, I mean, we were going to birth another child and we were birthing a church and it was, <laughs> it was a wild adventure. Yes. I mean, it was certainly a yes <laughs> of great faith mm-hmm. of, I don't know what this is going to look like. The preacher's wives that I knew were all my mother's age. And so yeah. here I am pregnant. And going, well, how am I going to nurse a child? And I'm a worship leader and I'm helping with the women's (laughs) ministry because you're grunting at the beginning, right? You're just picking up whatever tools and hats you need to, to make things work. And even little things that are silly, but like, how am I going to dress? Like I come from, you know, church traditions from the black church where church is dressed up. Like it is, you know, Mm -hmm. and especially the black church forged in America, you know, church on Sundays was that place where your full self was celebrated. Mm, you were mm-hmm. called everything but a child of God Monday through Saturday. And mm-hmm. then you came to the house of God on Sunday and you dressed up and you came to give God your best and you came to spend hours worshiping. Yeah. And then we cultivate this church community here in, you know, the Nashville, Tennessee area. So we're in the South and, you know, 
multicultural church is a nice bandwagon for a lot of white people. It's like, whoo-hoo, I've got yeah. a black pastor. This is cool. I worship with the first people. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, they come in their Birkenstocks and their flip-flops and their shorts. And here you've got black church traditions coming, yeah. you know, for a lot of us with dressing up. And so how does all that merge mm-hmm. culturally and yeah. good Lord with the music? Like, Kind of uh, yes. Do. Yes. <laughs> so we've had a lot of fun and I can laugh about the joys and the pain and the journey, you know, people, you know, having problems with sitting on chairs and not sitting on pews. And mm-hmm. I'm used to, you know, one hour service with two songs and a nice little hip sermon. And, you know, yeah. y'all go for a <laughs> long time and you sing the chorus over and over and <laughs> there's a choir and you know, the volume's too loud and all the things. <laughs> that are part of cultures merging together. And again, equal opportunity sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And it's really been good. And God mm. has been faithful. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Amen. You know, just what you just said at the end reminds me of, you were saying you have kind of this Presbyterian group that you worship with. So my church is Presbyterian, but we also have a lot of different churches we worship with. Around Easter, we do some services with a holiness church. Ooh. And yes, exactly. So, so my two kids, which couldn't be more different, the first time they experienced that sort of worship, and they were relatively young, my son was like, he had his ears covered because it was loud, but he was like into it. He was so excited. He was like, this is amazing. I'm worshiping in like this incredible way that I've never known before. My daughter leans over and she goes, mom, is this okay? <laughs> yes, honey. That's why we're doing this because you I need to it. know that all expressions of church are still God's church. Yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. And what a gift to your children. You know, I mean, we've, yeah. we've had people over the years who've come to visit and they've been flat out and they've said, you know, we are committed at the church that we attend, but we want our children to see different expressions mm-hmm. of the body of Christ. And mm-hmm. I have such respect for that, mm-hmm. that, you know, parents would be intentional to say, we don't want our children's entire church experience to only be our denomination or our expression. We want them to know that God's people express their worship and their love for him and their community. Mm-hmm looks mm. different in different parts of the world. And yeah. some can travel around the world and experience that. And that's beautiful. But for some, it's just going one zip code away. Yes. And giving mm-hmm. their children the gift of seeing that and experiencing that. And I think it's a beautiful, I would encourage people, you know, post-COVID as we hopefully yes. more, get to the point where we can do things like that again. Mm. But, you know, not to mm. treat it as, oh, we're othering false at, at all, but certainly to give your children the gift of being able to experience that and talking about it. Yes. What was different from how we Mm -hmm. worship? You know, the songs were different. How did it feel not knowing, you know, some of the aspects of what they were going to do? How did the sermon differ from what we're accustomed Mm -hmm. to? And I think that's just a wonderful way to dialogue and again, to expand children's worldview about Mm -hmm. what church is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Speaking of children, you're a mom of four, right? You are. And so you've been raising these four kiddos for quite some time. And I know that you've got some wisdom that you could share with us other moms. I'd love to hear what God's been teaching you through the journey of raising your kiddos and just maybe some things we could glean when it comes to raising our own. Yes. Well, it's been 27 years of trying to figure out what in the world I'm doing. And um, (laughs) I hope that's encouraging and not discouraging from mothers. Yeah. I'm a rule follower. I am the type of person when I approach parenting, you know, if there was one book that would just give you the lessons you needed, like just give me that book and I am ready. 
And, you know, anyone who has children can laugh and go, oh, we wish it was as easy as read a book and you know everything and you'll Mm. do it all right. And your children will, quote unquote, turn out right, whatever that means. (laughs) And I that's what I wanted. Yeah. And then I had my son and quickly realized that that's not what parenting is. Mm. It's not about my control and my intent for these little lives that God has given me to steward. And, you know, as God gives us children through birth and through adoption, I've learned through my four and through my nieces and nephews and through other children who call me mom, you know, who I'm a mother figure to. And certainly in in the faith Mm -hmm. community, you know, in the black church, you know, church mothers, it's important to see church as that household of faith as, Mm. as the Bible says. And so, you know, being in that maternal role, for many, I've just learned that it's about surrendering them mm. to the Lord. It's about mm. being faithful to pray for them at the season of life I am, where my youngest is 17. So I'm not changing diapers and taking them everywhere. You know, my youngest is spending time at school and spending time with friends. And, and so I'm not able to be a part of every detail of every minute of her life anymore. Yeah. And so it's a season of saying, okay, how do I transition to being more of a guide and more of a coach? I'm mm-hmm. not responsible for every decision she makes mm-hmm. and releasing myself from that, you know, but for moms of young ones, I would just say, be in the moment. You know, COVID has probably been a teacher for all of us. And, you know, you and I talked about that earlier, that Mm -hmm. it's forced us to be in the moment. And that's been a good thing. Mm -hmm. We've had to transition to, you know, helping our children at home, whether you homeschool them or whether they were in school and then they're out of school and they're virtual and all the (laughs) day to day, (laughs) every week it's different. And so we've had to learn to just be in the moment and be Mm -hmm. present and not want the season to, if I could just get past hypertension, if I could just get past when Mm. they can put themselves in the car by themselves. And before you know what, they'll be driving a car and it truly does go by quickly. And it's also daily, like it's both. Mm. When people would tell me that when they were young Mm -hmm. and I'd go, well, good grief. It goes by fast for you, but for me (laughs) right now, and it's hard. (laughs) And, you know, but there's seasons and seasons come and seasons go. Mm. And so whatever season you're in, be present in that season. Children really are a gift. They truly are a gift from the Lord. So they are his. And when I've remembered that, it has calmed my worry and calmed my concern. Even mm. the hard seasons when mm. the faithfulness that you have engaged in and trying to raise them and teach them the ways of the Lord. And because they're human, they don't always make choices that we would have made for them. And, you know, you want to go, what did I do mm-hmm. wrong? Or what can I do differently? And, and sometimes it's no, they are human. And like us, children of a perfect heavenly father who did no wrong. And yet we don't always do what our heavenly father has taught us and has right. given us to mm-hmm. do. And we right. repent and we try again. And, and so posturing ourselves in the same way as parents with Mm. children who are human they're little humans mm-hmm. that is good wisdom that is such oh that's so important just to remember we serve and love a perfect god yes and if we are unfaithful in a variety of ways or make bad decisions of course we shouldn't expect anything different from our kids that's exactly that yeah. gives us that moment to sort of can we breathe a sigh of relief mm-hmm. let me just remain faithful and just soak up okay lord tomorrow's a new day and they belong to you they are yes. a gift but they don't belong to me. They belong to God. Mm -hmm. And so they are his, they will follow the path that God has marked out for them. And that relieves 
a lot of anxiety, you know, in my season with a 17 year old who's trying to figure out her next steps. And I want to present to her a perfect manual of what her next steps could be. (laughs) And I have to remember, you know, you tried that with the oldest who's 27. (laughs) You tried that. And it didn't go so well because what you thought he should do was not what he wanted to do. And you had Uh to sit back and go, wait a minute, Dorena, that's not the point Mm -hmm. for you to give your child the manual. This is what the next season of your life should look like. If you follow all of my directions, you too will, you know, they're not robots. They are humans who were created in the image of God Mm. with a free will, just as you have, and you guide them and you give them wisdom, but sometimes you need to just step back and be quiet Mm. Mm -hmm. and let God guide and ask the Lord to bring other voices of wisdom. Yes. Because don't we know that God will bring somebody who will tell your child that they need to be, you know, taking vitamin C. You've been trying to tell them for years that they need to be taking vitamin C. And then somebody else comes along and says it. They're like, oh, you know what? I need to be taking vitamin C. And then you go, okay, Lord. Uh-huh. The point is that they needed to be taking vitamin C. Even if they didn't hear uh-huh. me for five years. Right. Thank you for the person now who they're listening to. And, yes. you know, of course, yes, children should be taking vitamin C. We all should. But the point <laughs> is that somebody else is going to come along and they're going to say the same thing that you've been trying to say. And I've just found it's a release to pray and ask the Lord to bring those faithful people because wisdom mm. is supreme. Proverbs is so full of so many lessons of wisdom and we are imparting wisdom to our children as we should, but God's sources of wisdom are not just from us. And so I have mm. found it's freeing to ask the Lord to bring those sources of his wisdom to my children. And then it's a joy when God answers that prayer and you go, thank you, Lord. Yeah. Thank you for providing that. Yeah. I want to circle back real quick, Darina, to this concept of practicing presence. That can be so difficult kind of in the day in and day out. Are there any tips on how you practice presence with your own children? Well, gosh, one of the most important things is putting down the phone when they are in the mood to talk. Listen, Hmm. you know, my oldest is 27 and he is a teacher. My second child is getting married as we record this. She is getting married in two weeks. Ah. And so, you know, my text messages vary from a question about defrosting chicken that my son will ask. He's 27, <laughs> who lives in the same city. <laughs> to, you know, the daughter saying, you know, I need to get a facial before the wedding. I just realized that. Can you help me make an appointment? <laughs> to my college daughter texting about something with her classes. To my 17-year-old texting about, you know, the youth retreat tonight. And so, you know, I feel like my mind is floating along all of these different paths at a constant times. And yet, you know, presence might look like being in the moment to text my son about defrosting chicken because he's trying to be a good steward of his finances and not eat out. And he's wanting to make sure he uses his chicken well. And so, (laughs) hey, I'm helping him along with that. But then when my 17-year-old wants to talk about school and the clubs she wants to join, put down my phone and stop what I'm doing because right now, listening to her is what I need to do. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for me, Mm -hmm. it looks like making those kinds of choices to respond and to be in the moment with each child and not be like, okay, can you hurry up so I can move on to the next thing? For every Mm -hmm. parent Mm -hmm. and every season, that's going to look different. But for me, it's just that practical aspect of engaging with that child when they need the moment to be able to do that with them. And it may actually end up being the most beautiful, sweetest moment of taking us on a detour of an adventure. Hey, let's go sit and do, or let's go outside or let's just one moment at a time. Mm -hmm. 
as mm. simple as that sounds, I think again, a COVID lesson for us is not to take each of those moments for granted because, you know, we've all lost so much during the season and just reclaiming the wisdom of stewarding every moment, you know, counting each day as, as Psalm 90 reminds us, teach us to number our days so we may gain a harvest. So mm-hmm. in every moment of every day, stewarding that as a grand and glorious opportunity that our father has given us to lean in. And, you know, our children are the most important people in our lives, more important than our coworkers and the work mm-hmm. that we're doing is worthy. But, you know, these gifts are only with us for a short season. So leaning in, whatever mm-hmm. that looks like for your moment with your child, mm-hmm. do it. You get me all teary. I've got a soon to be 17 year old. So I'm getting to experience the idea of her moving to the next phase of life in college. And what you're saying is just so important. And I couldn't imagine her being here, you know, with her getting ready to leave. And now we are. And I feel like every minute is so precious. So thank you for reminding me of that and sharing that. So how did you end up writing books? Did you write these books for your own children? Did it come from a need that you saw in other parents? What inspired you to start writing books for children? Well, it was certainly not anything on my bucket list. I started getting seeds of story thought as I was leading and loving our diverse congregation. I also was experiencing cultural agitation Mm. as I saw the traumatic things happening from Trayvon Martin on to the, all the precious image bearers in more recent years, whose lives mm-hmm. have senselessly been taken from us. And I saw in the midst of our faith communities, mourning and great lament. And then I saw people saying, well, I teach my children to be colorblind. Mm, and, yeah. you know, that whole colorblind deal, I'd always felt like, man, that's just not helpful. But In this season where lives are being lost in tragic and traumatic ways, Mm -hmm. and all you can say is, well, I don't see color. And it was like, I wanted to just take people and shake them by the shoulders and say, no, Mm -hmm. this is not how we solve, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. our racial brokenness is by teaching kids not to see color. And so there Mm -hmm. was just this sense of how do I respond to that in this season? And God answered my cry by giving me these story ideas. And I wrote them in my journal. I've always been a journal writer. And I kept writing and kept getting these ideas as I saw in our culture. Patel and American Girl were producing more doll lines with deeper and richer skin tones. And, you know, I have three daughters who had outgrown dolls, but I rejoiced that, you know, children today would have more access and wouldn't be as hard for parents, especially in the suburbs, you know, to find, you know, beautiful representation and toys for their kids. Yeah. And that was always something I was intentional to do as a mother of four Black children. And, and so all of that sort of merged in, in this idea of, of a story that would help people not be colorblind, but replace that with a colorful celebration. And so I wrote this down and then I thought, oh my gosh, if I'm writing a story, what does that mean? Like, I'm not an author. Like, <laughs> don't you have to have a degree in, in English to be an author? And so, you know, the whole imposter syndrome of what, you know, can I really do this? Do I have that merit to call myself an author and to enter into this? It was a journey. It was a painful journey in the midst of some hard things happening at our ministry and really God mining seeds out of the dark. But God was faithful to guide me and take the story and show me how to 
you know, Google and, you know, basically gain an education <laughs> through the internet, but lots of great resources out there now. I'm so grateful for so many conferences and opportunities that authors and writers have to cultivate their gifts and their craft and find ways to get their stories out in the world. And God was just faithful. Mm-hmm. He was just faithful to guide me along disappointment and closed doors to an open door to publish the three books that have come so far and then the others to come. So, yes, yeah, so you have colorful, mm. which does deal with skin color diversity, yes. but then you've also got graceful and thoughtful yes. and they, you've got special needs covered in there. Yeah. You've got kind of this concept of what does it look like to be empathetic and generous. And mm-hmm. I love them. We purchased some for our kids and then we went back and bought some and gave them to our library and then give them now as gifts for new moms oh, for I their book it. collections. No, they're not just full of wisdom, but they're actually beautiful you know, pictures to go along with them. And they tell a pretty story. Maybe give us a little peek. There's a particular character I love in Colorful, a very special grandma who's just pouring into her kids. So yeah, maybe give us a little peek into that. Yes. Well, Colorful, that main character, Granny Mac, is inspired by both my mother and my grandmother. My mother's called Grammy. So, you know, having this idea of a, a teachable conversation, which is something that, you know, parents, whether they are Parents who share our Christian faith or not, parents are having teachable conversations on a daily basis in the grocery store, in the car, in the park. I mean, mm-hmm. everywhere we go, we're conversing and we're trying to drop seeds of wisdom. So every book has an adult giving and a teachable conversation to the children. And in colorful, you know, the children are enjoying bubbles and the beautiful colors that they're just exclaiming over. And it's so sweet when I see toddlers touching the cover of colorful, young children who mm-hmm. are not reading yet but they're drawn to the colors on the cover. They're Mm. drawn to the bubbles because they can relate to that. And so that's the beauty of a picture book because children can gain lessons and gain inspiration from the visual before they're even reading the words and taking that message in. I love picture books too. I feel like I get to say that. I think they're a great tool for adults (laughs) as well. I mean, my tagline is I do write children's books that adults need too because adults, are struggling with these conversations. You know, if you grew up in a home where mm-hmm. race was not discussed, mm-hmm. um, as many of my, you know, majority race friends have conversed and have shared that. I didn't grow up talking about it. So now I have children and I want to do better. Or yeah. I've, you know, I've adopted children mm-hmm. of color, or I'm in a mixed race marriage, or I'm in a community with children who don't look like mine. And I'm realizing that I don't know how to have these conversations. Yes. And so my book has come along yeah. as a tool that they can read it and give their children language around talking about skin color, mm-hmm. that they can say, I'm chocolate mm-hmm. or I'm vanilla or I'm mocha. And it's in a celebratory way, but it's also in a way that says, this is how God created us. And so we see that. We're not colorblind. We see it Mm -hmm. and we celebrate that. Mm -hmm. And that gives us a lens by which we see people all around the world. So that we're not saying things like, I don't play with kids who look like you, or, you know, kids are hearing junky messages on TV or from their families or from their communities, but they've read this book and it has given them language to say, no, people are beautiful who don't look like me. So I'm not going to take in that junk. And, and it's, it's mm-hmm. a beautiful way that God, I pray, is giving us these seeds of redemptive power to help a new generation mm-hmm. be able to see and celebrate things that generations past have chosen to either be colorblind or just not converse about. Yeah. 
That's really a good point. I want to make sure everyone caught that, that these books are for adults too. And I do love that you've got mm-hmm. Granny Mac, who's walking us through what it looks like to have a conversation. How do you open that conversation with your kids? How do you listen for signals of where we might need to dig in and dispel some misunderstandings or whatnot? I felt that happening, but didn't realize how intentional you were about that. And I think that's very, very, like, I'm thankful for you as a mom. I'm thankful Aww. for you equipping, <laughs> equipping yes. us to have better conversations mm-hmm. and to, to feel confident in doing that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we only hand to our children what we hold. Mm-hmm. And so if we don't mm-hmm. hold it, you got to say that again. You got to say that. Again. We we hand to our children what we hold. And you know, my third book, you know, you mentioned thoughtful book that deals with, you know, disability and that was inspired by my nephew who has down syndrome. So it was a conversation our family began 14 years ago when God gifted us mm-hmm. with our nephew. He was fearfully and wonderfully made by God with a bonus chromosome. And so this little boy <laughs> in the book who is thoughtful, who's the hero of the story, who models for children, how we can be full of kind thoughts. But when I got to my third book, Graceful, I had begun reconciling and having the Lord break my heart of the bias that I realized I had towards homeless people Mm. because I was not a community with people who were homeless. And I thought homelessness was that single narrative of the guy on the corner who probably is just not been a good steward of his mm. job and his life. And he's, you know, an alcoholic and whatever narratives we've developed. And God had started through awareness, education, and growing in proximity. I realized that my narratives were so off mm. that homelessness is not having a safe and permanent place to sleep. And that children who my kids go to school with are homeless. Mm. And so as I realized my own ignorance, and I realized that this is an opportunity for me to say to adults, it's okay to acknowledge what we don't know. And then when we realize what we don't know, then we can fill that knowledge with accurate information. And then we can handle our children a better narrative instead of when they ask us about that person we pass and we say something that's false, Mm. that reinforces to them a bias Mm. that they will grow up and then they will perpetuate. Instead, we can break those biases down. So Graceful opens up a dialogue on, you know, a homeless family who's a part of the church community and the pastor encourages the church with how they are going to help lift this family up. So I intentionally use language mm-hmm. that helps us replace, you know, well, they're poor or we're better than them or, you know, we worked hard and if only mm-hmm. they worked hard like us, they could have. So mm-hmm. instead of that meritocracy and some of these things that we have subtly adapted in our language and our formulations about people and not realizing that, you know, some people's situations have happened because of circumstances outside of their control, right? Or because of, you know, inequality that's in systems that we have chosen to be ignorant about because they've not affected us. And so again, what we can hold and grow in awareness, I mean, we can pass those things on to our children so that they can have that empathy and that kindness, which is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, which should reign yes. and rule the people of God. And then we can be change agents and we can help mm. lift people up and we can see the grace that God has given to us. That what we have is not just because of hard work, but it is because of the grace of God that is given to all of us. Mm. And so I'm really trying to unpack difficult things in a way that children can hold, but also that the adults who are reading 
the grandparents, the aunties and uncles. Like I don't mm-hmm. don't sleep on aunts and uncles, you know, just, mm-hmm. just for parents because yes. aunts and uncles realize they have a role. They're not the primary caregiver, but they have a beautiful role alongside, which is really powerful. You know, kids ministry leaders, librarians and teachers, mm-hmm. you know, even beyond our faith community, that these books can have a broader impact with the truth of the gospel and the beauty of God's love expressed in a way that kids can absorb and hopefully grow and flourish with their neighbors. Mm, Gosh, I love it. Love it. I love just hearing from you as much as you are working to do, you know, a good work of education for children that you're also seeing areas where you needed to grow in your understanding and learn a bit more about, you know, a particular area where you are identifying biases. And I think that's such an important thing for everyone to dwell on when we consider leaning into reconciliation, because the reality is all of us have growing to do in something. Yes. And so it's not like you're in the category of someone who needs to grow or not. Like we are all on here growing and learning. That's what we're doing as human beings. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Well, Jesus came for the over and over. Jesus would say, I didn't come for those who are well. I came for those who are sick. And those who missed his message were those who felt like they were adequate. Mm. And so mm. may mm. we not miss mm. the message that he's continuing to give to us. Yeah. Because we and our need. Our See our need. need. And how, oh. what, what a great, I mean, how powerful is it to say to your children who are struggling, they're in second grade and they're struggling with math, they're struggling to read, they're struggling at high school or struggling with statistics or whatever it is. To be able to show them that mom and dad or grandma is struggling through some things as well. Yeah. Like, how would that allow them to see that struggle is not bad? It's okay. It's a part of life. Yeah. You know, we're all struggling to learn and to grow whatever our educational levels are, whatever our attainment of, of status in society that we're still learning. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's what it means to be a disciple of Christ is a follower. Mm-hmm. And I hope that I won't stop learning and growing and leaning into the stretching until I've crossed over to eternity and my faith mm-hmm. has become sight. Amen. But right now it's incomplete. And I think it's a beautiful model as we impart wisdom to our children that they see that we are also growing and learning to do. Yeah, that's so good. That's so important. I love that we get to share with our listeners. Hey, the, we're not here to see if we measure up. We're here to grow and learn. That's what we're yeah. supposed to be. Yes. Discipleship. Yes. (laughs) So speaking of that, we have just been talking about how this has been a year of growing and learning for the entire church about what it looks like to be the church when church was disrupted. And I am so excited about this new book that you have coming out very soon called The Celebration Place. And you have a whole new like line of books coming, which I can't believe how God has blessed that. But Tell us about what's coming. Tell us about the celebration place and what was on your heart when you wrote that. Oh, I'm so excited about the celebration place. It is an expansive view of the body of Christ. You know, I was blessed to, as I said, be a Baptist preacher's kid growing up, but I also spent my summers at my grandparents' Methodist church, being enriched by that layer of church experience. And so my heart was really to give a book that says to children that church is not just a place, but we are a people. And we come together to celebrate who God is and to celebrate one another. And that church is a celebration place. And one of the most powerful lines from the book is, no longer is church a divided space. Now it's a celebration place. Oh, I love that. And, uh, you know, we just last month celebrated the anniversary of the March on Washington. And, 
you know, so many of us know, you know, so many beautiful, iconic words from Dr. King, but he helped illuminate decades ago that, you know, Sunday morning is the most, you know, segregated hour of society. Mm-hmm. And, you know, through research from, you know, Dr. Emerson and many others, you know, Brooke, so much of the good work you guys have done through Barna, we see that there has been some improvement, that there are more multi-ethnic churches or churches that identify as, you know, multicultural, diverse. We still have so far to go. Mm-hmm. But all over the world, as God's people come together to worship, whether it's the Black church experience, which is what I come from, you know, forged through, you know, the fire, forged through being overcomers, you know, whether it's churches that are ministering to their ethnic group through, you know, language and through, you know, just expressing the beauty of who they are as image bearers before God. Whatever that experience looks like, Celebration Place says, we gather together and we represent the heart of God, that his people experience unity in the midst of our diversity. Mm. And so it's a book full of colors, full of celebration. My husband was a Christian rapper. So, you know, there's a spread with a Christian rapper who's being embraced in the church. And and so Mm. different worship expressions are part of the story, but also I pray an opportunity in this season, as crazy as it is when the church has not been able to gather physically. I hope the celebration place is a story of hope and a story of inspiration that we are beautiful when we worship together. Mm. You know, Psalm 133 says that how good and pleasant it is when mm. brothers dwell together in unity. And so that's what the celebration place is going to be sharing with the world. And I'm excited for that to release. That's with IVP Kids. It's a new imprint from InterVarsity Press and I'm grateful to be a part of their 75 years of history to be able to converge with them on that release. So yes. I'm really excited. They put out some, some fantastic books and I'm actually really thrilled to have the new children's line. This is, this is great stuff. So I just love that in a moment of grief, honestly, about the church mm. that we can celebrate the church. That yes. is just such an important, timely message. And I can't wait to be able to share that with my kids. So it's coming out in November. Yes. November 9th. Yes. And I love that you said that, Brooke, because you're so right. In the kingdom of God, it's always upside down. It's always not what we expect. Mm. And, you know, I wrote this story a few years ago and God's perfect will and plan was that 2021 Wow! during a <laughs> pandemic that is resurging, we need it. that wow. we would have this book that says, yes, whether we're connecting on Zoom, whether we're wearing our masks and being socially distant in church, whether we're not able to be at church because of our health challenges, but we're still the beautiful body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And we're not supposed to just be relegated to the building, right? Because when the church was birthed at the day of Pentecost, it was people from all over the known world speaking all of these languages, perplexed at what God was doing, that this gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out. And so COVID is saying, that's still who we are. Yeah, You know, they started out, you know, that way and going from house to house and worshiping and, you know, denominations formed and we've had our history full of mountains and valleys, but here we are in 2021 and the gates of hell are still not prevailing against us. Amen. We're still the Amen. people of God. So you've just given me a dose of inspiration <laughs> and of celebration, you know, as this book goes out in the world and, you know, as an author, as you just pray, God, you gave me this story and I just, it's yours. So mm. you know, I pray that it's used far and wide to your glory and to the strengthening of your people. Yeah. Love that. Thank you for like helping us shift our perspective back to the biblical way of viewing 
what's going on. You know, I think when we can get so bogged down when there's so many just terrible negative things going on for just, it seems like ever, you know, but it's just adding up and it can weigh us down and and we forget, you know, the Bible's called us to think about what is good and right and pure and lovely and praiseworthy and that we are meant to endure with hope and with gratitude and that those are the the mindsets and the weapons that we use. And thank you for just reminding us and our listeners and, and giving us a book and a tool to help remind our children and our family members. Amen. Amen. Sure. What has some of the response been to your books? Have you gotten feedback from educators, from parents, from, you know, different communities? Yes. And it's been overwhelmingly positive. You know, you're always a little, okay, uh, how are people going to receive this? Especially colorful, I think, because it was so unusual. Mm-hmm. I've had, you know, Black children who have come up to me excited at a reading to say, my name is Imani, just like the name of, you know, the Black girl in, in colorful or little girls with red hair who are excited that, you know, his red <laughs> hair is beautiful and unusual. And, and so little girls are excited that there's a girl on the cover that has red hair. So, you know, those little things that bring children to light that are so sweet. I've received so many messages, both, you know, through inboxes, through, you know, my website of parents, grandparents, people from around the world who have expressed as you have, Brooke, you know, thank you for helping us have tools to have conversation. And I wrote it for them. I wrote it to give representation. I wrote it, Mm. you know, to give it. And I love quoting, you know, educator Rudine Sims Bishop talks a lot about windows and mirrors, literary windows where kids Mm. can see into the world and see things about other cultures that are not like them. But then they also have literary mirrors where they're looking at a book and they see someone that looks like them. So mm-hmm. I've, I've heard from families saying, thank you for giving my children characters that look like them, whether it's you mm-hmm. know a, a child with a disability as they see and thoughtful, or it's a child that ethnically represents them, represents their people group. Those messages seem to always come at a time where, you know, I'm, I'm struggling through doubt or, or pressing through the next deadline and God is just sweet. It's like a little kiss, like that mm-hmm. inbox just comes right then or that person that you meet that just gives you that word of affirmation. It's like, okay, I can keep going. <laughs> I, God is using this. It's not in vain. I've been so blessed. And it's reminded me to make sure that I also do that, that I share with those whose work has impacted me Mm -hmm. because we all need to know that the things God has called us to, especially those really hard things that he's using it. Yeah. We do it in faith. We do it for eternal value, but God knows that we still need just that little bit of encouragement. And so it's so sweet. I always tell people seeing posts of kids with my books, just that just does me in. I'm like, yes, I see those babies and I see them <laughs> reading and interacting with the stories and mm-hmm. even some classrooms where teachers have had kids write notes about what they love about the story. And that just, oh my goodness. I think I would melt. I, I mean, I, I will save them forever. Like I will just treasure, you know, I love the colors in your book. And you're like, ah, so it's it's just the most it's the most precious thing so those that feedback is invaluable that's so great i'd love to hear some tips that you might have for us as parents grandparents aunts uncles even teachers that are trying to raise children in this beautiful multicolored world what are some 
tips that you might have for them? Well, I would say have the conversations. Don't think that your children are unaware. They see more Mm -hmm. than you think they do. Mm -hmm. And you train them that way. Mm. I know when my son was an infant and we were all about raising the little Einstein, like, so from the little, you know, <laughs> moguls on the crib that had the black uh-huh. and white geometric patterns, because this is, supposed. I mean, you know, it's silly now uh-huh. you think about the lengths that we went through to ensure, you know, whatever was the latest thing to help their brain develop and all this is what we do, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. (laughs) we can laugh about it, but we raise them to be critical thinkers from the time that God entrusts them to our families. Mm -hmm. And so don't come now to these conversations and all of a sudden try to mute it. Like Mm -hmm. you have raised them and expected them to think critically and to Mm -hmm. gain wisdom and understanding and they want it. They're ready for it. Mm. And if you don't create these conversations, you are leaving them open for horrific and damaging and destructive opportunities to plant seeds into their minds. Mm. And so if you're not filling those file folders with healthy, and if you share our Christian faith with biblical wisdom, then you're leaving them open for something else to fill it. Yeah. And that's with every conversation. Mm -hmm. I mean, any parent I know is not going to wait until their kids are 13 and they say, okay, I'm going to sit down and talk to you about the birds and the bees. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> right. Not, mm-hmm. I would say to any parent, um, hello, that's not good parenting. <laughs> we start when we're bathing them and we're talking to them about how God created them beautifully and good touches and bad touches. And mm-hmm. they blurt out things or they're asking you those silly questions. You are not saying, oh, I don't want to talk about that at three years old. No, you're using that as a teachable conversation yes. to talk to them about how God created them. When they go to the doctor, that the doctor has to check your body because he's going to see how you're developing and mommy or daddy are here with you. We're very careful and we're very candid and we're very age appropriate. So translate that right over to conversations about race and justice and about the things that your children are experiencing in the world, both at home. And I would say to kid ministry leaders, we have grand opportunities at church to teach our children that they are created in the image of God. We need to teach our children from the first chapter of Genesis when God tells us that Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. And that includes all humanity. So that's the very beginning of our scriptures. And then we get to the very end in Revelations when we see all nations and tribes and tongues around the throne. So we are bookended through the whole of scripture. Mm. And you have an opportunity in church to share that truth with the children that God has entrusted to you who are coming from all nations, you know, we don't have to just go out to all nations. God is bringing them mm-hmm. to us, to mm-hmm. our churches. And you have the opportunity in church, you know, teachers, whether your school settings are public or private, you can plant beautiful seeds that those children, whatever home life they're coming from and whatever they're being indoctrinated with at home, you have the opportunity in your classrooms to provide rich literature that exposes them to other cultures. And and again, depending on what kind of school context you have, but there's so many creative opportunities. And again, you aunties and uncles and grandparents who are intentional about what you're buying for those kids, for those birthdays and those Christmas gifts and those Easter baskets, the opportunities are before us. We just have to find those creative ways and be intentional. Yeah. So I just encourage you to do it. 
absolutely buy my books, but there's so many wonderful resources out there. And I would just encourage you on behalf of all the authors who are putting good work out in the world to give representation to children, to help them learn those lessons early and regularly, you know, support that work and add those to the giftings as we approach the holiday season. You know, books are such a great way to impart knowledge and to do it in a way that is seamless and it's fun. Mm -hmm. And then kids will come back to those lessons and they will continue and you're planting beautiful seeds in such an easy and creative way. Mm, I love that. And it's fun for us too. As and so important because we're all reading with our kids. We all know how important that is. So may as well yes. do it in a way that's going to be mutually beneficial. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Wow. I feel like we just gained so much wisdom. And yes. I know that anyone who has not picked up your books is going to be just completely blessed when they open them up for the first time. And those of us who have, we just are excited for what God continues to speak through you. So thank, thank you. you for Amen. being committed to doing that work and just may God bless the work of your hands. Amen. Amen. That's one of my constant prayers is that God would establish the work of my hands and that he would use up his glory. So I would appreciate all of your prayers as you're listening. God is using the work that he's given me and I'm humbled and grateful. He's opening up incredible doors and I want to be faithful. So pray that God will use the work. And if you feel led to support it, you know, pray that God will use books or seeds and God yes. takes them where he will and the great opportunities for flourishing. And I'm excited to see what God does through them. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for joining us today for the Race and Redemption podcast. Make sure not to miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button on our page wherever you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Instagram at Race and Redemption so you can join the conversation today. This episode was produced by Matt Owen for Soul Graffiti Productions.